Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 80. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zachariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. Immediately, his mouth was open and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them, they laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. A couple of years ago, my family was driving through Colorado, and our plan was to stop around six o'clock at a particular place where we thought there would be a variety of restaurants, have dinner, enjoy our time, and then around eight o'clock, get back in the car, drive another two or three hours, uh, and then we would be set up for the next morning to do what it is we wanted to do. <clears throat> so at six, or somewhere around the time we expected, six o'clock-ish, uh, we got to this place, and we'd do what you do when you're in a small town looking for a place to eat, you check your phone to find out where you should go. And we saw an alert that said about 20 miles ahead on I-70, the major highway going through, uh, there was a mudslide and that the highway was closed. And so I found myself wondering how many hours it would take for them to clear the highway. Not too many mudslides in New York. I thought that this might be a minor thing. I think it took like a week. I'm not sure how long it was. But uh, without knowing, we're thinking if we just stall enough time, what do we do? Well, maybe we should get a hotel room. And then we look, and there are no hotel rooms available. Uh, and then it looked like the only plan available to us, all things considered, was to take this loop, this roundabout route, that would add something like three to five hours to the trip. Uh, and as we thought of all of the options, not wanting to drive till two or three in the morning, whatever the case was, it seemed like the only thing we can do was to take this loop. 
which we did. And so we got on that loop and it was a loop that seemed like it would be scenic. We got on the, the, the loop maybe around eight o'clock. So there was some sunlight when we went on it and it looked like it would have been beautiful, except that then it got dark and we spent the bulk of the time driving in the dark. So what could have been a scenic loop was a loop without the scenery. Um, because of the highway being closed, others were doing the same thing, including RV drivers. So you're on this narrow road and I'm looking at the map program that says it's three or four hours or whatever, but I don't know that they timed us doing that at four miles per hour. And so there you are stuck behind an RV that you can't pass because it's a narrow road. And as it turns out, we got where we needed to go much later than we wanted, uh, a little bit exhausted, a little bit discouraged, a little bit stressed, but we got there. Now life, people often use the metaphor of a journey, we're, we're going somewhere, often has that kind of experience where whatever you plan, whatever you think, whatever you desire, whatever you expect, something gets in the way and you just need to figure it out. And often with the figuring it out, you have to, you have to go a different direction <clears throat> and it could be hard, it could be frustrating, it could be discouraging. But at the end of the day, if you have a certain confidence that eventually you'll, you'll get back on track, then you could deal with it. But, uh, you know, the thought did cross my mind as we're, as we're going over this mountain and not having signal. What, what if this road doesn't link back up with Interstate 70? That would be quite discouraging to have spent four or five hours driving to a, to a dead end going nowhere. And, and that's the problem when we're, we're living life in real time is we could roll with a lot, we could deal with a lot, we could get through a lot, but, but we don't know the future. We don't know how things will connect. And so much of the time, it feels like we're going through life just dealing with, with struggles and difficulties and disappointments and challenges uh, as if we might just, that, that's it, we, we might be going nowhere. In the Christmas message, the birth of Jesus, one of the things that we're told is somebody was sent into the world who would lead us and guide us. And so one of the, the beautiful, hopeful parts of the passage that was read was verse 79, speaking about the one who would come. This is the Luke telling the story of uh, anticipating the birth of Jesus, who would guide our feet into the way of peace. And so the Advent season, as we prepare for Christmas, which is next Sunday, remembering the birth of Jesus, the Advent season is often a time where the church remembers that it was actually a really long, difficult, discouraging, disappointing path to get to that point. So before we uh, next Sunday celebrate how wonderful it is that Jesus came and the implications, we remember that it took a long time for him to get there. The history that's recorded in the whole Bible anticipating that moment is one with lots of difficulties, lots of disappointments, uh, and, and the very community that was there when Jesus was born was among those who thought, are we another generation that is gonna exper experience failure, discouragement, nothing? Are we foolish for hoping in God? So today what we're doing is not looking at the birth of Jesus, but the, the prophecy about the birth of John the Baptist, whose birth signaled uh, something preparing the way for what Jesus would come and do. Jesus will come and guide our feet into the path of peace. But he, uh, there's a long road preparing that. And so what we're going to look at today is uh, first what I'm calling a dead end, uh, just, uh, just dealing with some of the difficulties of this passage. Secondly, a prepared way. That's what John is coming to do to prepare the way. But third, the way of peace. That's ultimately what 
what Jesus comes to do. But to appreciate it, I think it's helpful to understand some of the complexity of how we get there. So I'm beginning with this idea of a dead end. You know, uh, today we use the term dead end for a road that goes nowhere, and so there will be a sign warning you, uh, if you're turning down the road, unless you have a particular destination on that road that you know of, don't go this way because this road is not connecting with anything. Um, as we think about going through life, the interesting thing is life for all of us has a dead end, meaning it ends in death. And, and the question really becomes, well, is that it? Is our life leading to nothing, or is there anything beyond it? If there's something beyond it, that actually, in some ways, could help us make sense of some of what we're dealing with, but, but that requires faith. How would we know? And so much of life is testing uh, what do we really believe this is all about? Where are we headed? What, why would any of these things we're seeking to do be meaningful or valuable if at the end of the day my life is going nowhere? And so uh, in the, the Luke story, we meet lots of people. And if you read the birth stories in Matthew and in Luke, you meet lots of people. Some of them are very good, very faithful people. But even so, we meet people whose lives were really hard. We meet some people who are not good. So for instance, Herod, the local king, a terrible human being. His life was hard, but it should be hard. He was making everybody else's life hard. But here we meet Elizabeth, for example, an older woman who is unable to have children. And in verse 58, it says, her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they rejoiced with her. Um, as God's plan for all of history is beginning to be fulfilled, we see God's kindness to particular struggling people. Elizabeth is an example of somebody who was faithful and yet whose life was hard. We also meet Simeon in his old age, not knowing if he would die and seeing God's work. We meet Anna, a widow for a very long period of time. In the Gospels, we meet people who are poor, people who lost loved ones, people who are discouraged, uh, but they're God's people. They're faithful people. So, so we get a picture that the world is hard for everyone, including those who hope in God. But what we get in this is that the, the community that's struggling and yet waiting on God finds once again that God is indeed merciful. But yet in the midst of that, they struggle. So, so part of the context when Zechariah prophesies about John who will be born, uh, we get a, a, a clue into what he was experiencing in verse 71. You know, it's, isn't it great that God is acting and raising up somebody, but it's so that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. So here they are trying to live faithful, upright lives, trying to be decent people, and yet we live in a world where the ways of the world are ways of hostility. It doesn't matter how good your intentions are. It doesn't matter how upright you are. There's something about this world where, where hatred is natural to us. And therefore, all of us are having a difficult experience because those are the ways of the world. We know it in our own hearts. We're impatient, we're envious, we're judgmental, uh, but it's everyone. And so here's God's people um, trying to be, they're, they're not perfect, but they're trying to be faithful, and yet their experience is people hate us. And you go to Titus chapter 3, uh, a New Testament book that talks about who we used to be and who God is making us to be. One of the things he said, we, we hated one another and we were hated. That's sort of the way of the world. It's not that it's always that way. It's not that everybody is always a thoroughly rotten human being, but there's something in each of us and in every part of the world and everyone's experience that we deal with 
resentment. We deal with spite. We deal with people who aim to harm others. And so even if you're faithful, even if you're upright, that's part of the way of this world. And so one of the images uh, that's part of anticipating the arrival of Jesus, part of the Christmas story, but, but something so natural to anyone who struggles is this imagery of sitting in darkness. So verse 79, one of the things that, that uh, Zechariah is anticipating is maybe the time has come where, where God is coming to meet us in our darkness. He's hoping that, that the child that will be born will go and prepare the way for the, the Lord to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And that phrase, shadow of death, comes up uh, some parts of the Bible, Psalm 23, for example, often translated, um, you know, or, or a good translation, a fair translation, could be the place of deepest darkness. Now, the New Testament is written in Greek, and so it takes that concept and uses explicitly the language in our passages is literally the, the shadow of death. Interesting imagery, it's helpful because you know, I think a lot of us could tap into the, the sense of the weightiness, the heaviness of, of, of darkness and experiences and seasons of life where that term best describes what we're feeling. And in, in the Bible, the, death is not uh, meant, uh, it was not presented in, in Genesis 1 and 2 uh, as, as what God's purposes and plans were, life or God's purposes and plans, but God warns Adam and Eve, if you turn from me, um, if you don't believe me, if you walk away from me who gives life, death will be the outcome. And so, so the ways of our world, um, the hostilities, the, the various things that go wrong, move us, the more we walk down those paths, move us away from the ways of life and move us closer to death. And uh, there's an incentive in there not to make foolish choices to do those terrible things, but we live in a world where those ways are there. So even if we're not making those choices, even if we're trying to live upright lives, sometimes the ways of those around us make us feel like we're drawing closer to death, we're, we're descending into darkness. And so this imagery of the shadow of death, uh, it makes sense if, as we think about the way that light works, if, um, you know, the way that an eclipse works, for example, if there's God and there's humanity, is there anything between God and humanity? In the picture of the Bible as well, there is a separation. The idea that our sins separate us from God and the logical extension of sin is death. There's something so big, something we don't understand, something we can't control, something we can't conquer that stands at the end of our lives that it makes it hard to see God in his glory, God in his grace, God in his mercy and goodness. And our experiences, the closer we get to the reality of brokenness, whether it's in our own hearts or in the world or in circumstances, the harder it is to see the goodness of God. And so all of us have to face periods where uh, life gets shadowy. And sometimes it, it gets so, so uh, the darkness becomes so thick, it feels like we're, we're nearing death itself. We, we feel uh, uh, life in, in all of its goodness um, going from us. It's a terrible, miserable experience, and yet common to humanity, unfortunately. And so with that image where, where we have in the, in the beginning of the Bible, God who, who speaks to Adam and Eve and says, uh, having put them in a garden, all of this is for you, but warns them there's one tree, and if you eat of that, you will surely die. 
And then Genesis 3 tells the story of deception. And the nature of the deception is, did God really say that? Meaning, um, is he actually looking out for you? Can you trust him? And God, the giver of life, God who gives all things, God who desires to bless, and God who speaks truthfully to warn, they find out should have been trusted. But when they started to doubt the goodness of God, when they started to, to think maybe actually God is not acting in our best interest, but we might do better apart from God, they learned by experience that God actually spoke truthfully. God was good. God indeed had given and blessed them, and then they were to find out what death is, something that God warned them about. And that creates this picture of, of what happens in humanity, that, that now we don't fully believe what God says, partly because we doubt God's goodness. We don't see God in his goodness and clarity the way that we should, because something is between us and God. And, and that, what that is, the term the Bible uses, sin that separates us, leads to death. The more we experience the reality, the awfulness, the ugliness, the weight of sin, um, the harder it is to be sustained in hopefulness. And so um, in this story, uh, Zechariah is acknowledging as a, as a family, Elizabeth and Zechariah suffered, their community has suffered. They understand what it's like to experience darkness, and yet they've waited, they've hoped, they've believed that God is actually merciful. And so the way that this story, uh, it, it culminates what began in Luke 1, where Zechariah has been unable to speak now for nine months since an angel came to announce uh, to Zechariah that his wife would be pregnant and they would name him John. And so in verse 63, Zechariah asks for a writing tablet as they're having a debate over what to name the child. And Zechariah says his name is John. And they all wondered uh, about that because that was an unusual choice. Uh, there was no John in the family. Why would he choose that name? Well, if you read Luke 1, he didn't choose that name. The angel Gabriel, God's messenger, came and announced to him and to Elizabeth to say, she will conceive, she will have a child, his name shall be John. Uh, and it says in verse 64, when he says that, immediately his mouth is opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke blessing God. And what we have here is in Zechariah, a bit of a picture of the recent experiences of God's people. So Luke 1 tells the story of God's servant, God's messenger, the angel coming to reveal something and Zechariah is marveling, but he, he doubts. How, how do I know uh, that, that these things will be? And in a sense, he's asking for a sign. And the sign is, you will not be able to speak. And so he had nine months that it wasn't simply a sign for him, but a sign to everyone else. A sign of what? That God has continually not been believed as God sent his prophets. And so the way Christians order the Bible, the last book of the Old Testament is Malachi. And Malachi is a prophet who then is speaking to God's people, but uh, again, God's people are not listening. And so for a few hundred years, what they got as a consequence was no more prophets. <laughs> it seemed as though God was silent. And that's part of this first century experience. God is, God is no longer speaking to us. So what do we do? And here's Zechariah, who is unable to speak. And then when he's asked, he demonstrates his faith. He learned, he now realized uh, this child is to be named John. 
And in confessing that, it creates this moment, a sign of what God is about to do. God is now, after hundreds of years of seeming like he was distant, ignoring them, not caring, which isn't true, but that might have been their experience. Where is the prophet who will speak for us in our context? Well, it seemed that God was silent, and now God is going to speak. And so, so Zechariah, who was unable to speak for nine months, now is able to speak. He begins to praise God. Um, it's a sign that, that this moment is, is not an ordinary moment. And that's what I'm going to talk about next. But before we get there, I just want to say one thing, which is, which is, uh, what do you do in those periods where you want God's guidance, you want God's leading, and it feels like God is distant? And we seek God, and we pray, and we ask, and we wait, and we watch. But all of us have to go through periods where it feels like, I don't know what to do. I don't know if God is with me. I don't know if God cares. My, my fears are starting to, to shape what I'm seeing, and I don't know that God's going to bring me through or bail me out. All of us at some point have to uh, face those seasons. It's, it's, it's worth noting, what did the people, the faithful, as they're presented to us in Luke 1, what did they do with their difficulties, their sufferings? Well, when they wanted God to speak in the present, and yet it didn't seem God was speaking, what they did is they held to what God had once said in the past. And they, they held pre- to that as precious, which we have the Bible. And when you pray and, and the Spirit is at work, often in the reading of the Bible, God guides us and God directs us. But we often go through periods where they're just words on a page. It doesn't feel like God is speaking into the current decision, the current struggle. And yet the pattern that we see of the faithful throughout the Bible is, but they held to what God once said, believing it's true, even if it was general, even if it didn't speak to their context. And so in verse 70, one of the things that Zechariah is rejoicing in is that God spoke by his holy prophets from of old. And so he remembered that. And in verse 72 and 73, the promise, the nature of what God spoke in those days was that he would show mercy. There's mercy promised to our fathers. And they believed that God would remember his holy covenant, a covenant God made a promise. And their belief at that time is we don't know why uh, things are turning out now. We don't know what God has to say in our day and age. But, but many years ago, he promised to, to bless those who trust in him. In verse 73, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. And if you read through Luke, there's something very similar about the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah and Sarah and Abraham. And that's, that's not accidental. But here he is saying, but we believe that Abraham, many generations before, God spoke a promise and God will not break his promise. He promised that we would be his people and that he would deliver us. And we saw it like in the days of Moses, he raised up a prophet. We had no king. We had no ruler that was greater than Pharaoh. God came to be our king, but God raised up a prophet, Moses. God heard the cries of his people. And so the faithful would say uh, in Zechariah and Elizabeth and Anna and Simeon, these other figures that we meet, we don't know what God is doing. These days are dark and hard, but we're trusting God will one day prove that he is right, despite what we see. That doesn't tell you what to do, but it does remind you not to give up hope in those moments where you, you feel like, I don't feel God's presence. I don't have a fresh word for this moment. You hold to what the scripture said, which is God is merciful. God is gracious. God does not abandon his people. He will not hand you fully over. 
And sometimes we really need to grasp that to say, I'm still waiting, I'm still asking, I'm still seeking, but I'm going to just trust that God is truthful, merciful. He has promised he will raise up, even from the dead, those who believe in Christ. And so we can keep believing even if we feel like we're drawing near to the shadowy parts, even if it feels like uh, we can't see a way out. So there are ways that lead to death. The Bible invites us to different ways. Within this world, there are many ways. Um, Jesus comes to lead us down one way, but it's not necessarily easy. But is he truthful? Does he promise? Well, um, before we get there, the second thing I want to talk about is that, that this passage is about a way that's now being prepared. So these people, uh, the people that were, were uh, there present for this, are not yet walking in the way of peace. But the time is coming where God is about to open that way. Uh, but Zechariah speaks about the birth of John the Baptist as the one who will prepare the way. He's the last in the line of the prophets because that's what the prophets have been doing. Uh, for many years, for centuries, they've been readying the time that God would come and open a new way. And so the question that arises, given this sign, so that's often when God is going to do something uh, quite remarkable, there's the combination of, of the sign and the word, and it doesn't happen often, but it's in particular times, the time of Abraham, the time of Moses, the time of Elijah, and now it's happening again. There's been a sign of John's silence, but there's also the sign of Elizabeth's conception. Old, unable to have children, she conceives. There's the sign of Mary's conception, young, and not by any natural explanation, uh, in a position to conceive, and yet she does. There are these signs that God is showing he's going to act, and the signs point us to his work, his life-giving work beginning, and it alerts us to then listen to what he's saying at that time period. So the people there hearing Zechariah's prophecy wind up with the question, what child is this? <laughs> you know, he, he prophesies about John the Baptist, and, and it says in verses 65 and, and 66, these things were talked about through the hill country of Judea, and all who heard them laid up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. So God is doing something that's getting the attention in this region. They're seeing things. They're hearing uh, instructions, and it's causing them to marvel. And so what is the nature of John the Baptist? What is this child? Uh, what is his purpose? Well, the prophecy for him, in all the words of Zechariah uh, that he says in this passage, it's really 76 and 77, those verses that draw our attention to what we should know about John. And he says, you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. Um, again, God, it seems like he was silent for the longest time. God is now raising up someone, and he's going to speak. He's going to give them instruction. He is now um, uh, coming close to them. You will be the prophet of the Most High. You will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. And that was the nature of John's work. He was calling people out into the wilderness. The last verse says that's where he grew up. He's calling people out of, of, of uh, where they lived because the ways where they were living were not right. So come out and receive this sign of baptism, a sign of God's promise, a sign that God is merciful, a sign that if you turn from him, uh, if you turn from these ways and turn to him, he will cleanse you. He will bring you forgiveness. Um, John is doing these things to prepare the way. 
It's an announcement that God is merciful. God does care. God is involved in history. And history has just gone wild. As, as human beings do what they want, uh, we're seeing the fruit and evidence of it. And yet here God comes to intervene again. And the people are marveling. What are these signs? What are these words? Well, now we have a prophet. But the nature of John, John the Baptist, is that he's preparing. He is not the one who opens the way. He is not the one who is the way. That's uniquely Jesus. But he's the one who prepares the way. And, and, and analogy of how this works, uh, if you want to drive over a mountain, it takes an unnecessarily long amount of time. It will take energy either in the form of your calories if you're, if you're walking, your gas if you're driving. Um, having to get to another side of a mountain is quite difficult. And yet, what other way is there? Well, with modern technology, we can make tunnels. And so there, there's something uh, called a tunnel boring machine. They're quite expensive, uh, technologically quite advanced to be able to make your way through a tunnel. Uh, but a machine that expensive, you wouldn't just, you know, smash through all the trees that are in the way uh, to get to the, it's quite strong, it's quite powerful, it could go through a mountain. Uh, but usually the way is prepared. And so there are other tools, the people with chainsaws, with bulldozers, with diggers, whatever it is, that's clearing the way so you can get this tunnel boring uh, device to the mountain. And those are powerful devices, chainsaws and bulldozers are quite powerful, but none of them can actually make their way through the mountain. The, the prophets have a preparatory role, very important. They're coming to prepare the way. They're coming to, uh, to make straight paths because the Lord is arriving and they are crucial, very important, prominent. But they themselves cannot clear, uh, they could clear the path, but they are not the way. They are not the one who can go through. That's the announcement that finally actually Jesus is coming. He's the one that all of the prophets have been preparing for. But right now, John the Baptist will be the last in this long line that he comes to prepare the way. And the nature of his ministry is providing knowledge. That's what it was. People were confused. What is God up to? Have the promises failed? What is God doing in our generation? What are we supposed to do? He has a word from God that helps them to know God's plan of salvation. Something you can't guess, something you can't figure out, something you can't earn. But John the Baptist prepares the way through a ministry of knowledge, through a ministry of preaching, a ministry of announcing that God is indeed still merciful. So he gives the knowledge of salvation to God's people about the forgiveness of their sins. The very things that have alienated you, separated you, left you confused, led to your suffering, God is now coming and he's preparing the way through the announcement of forgiveness. And he's going to make known his unique way of salvation. John is not the one who will save us. But John is the one who will prepare the way. And John is not the only one, but there's a long line of prophets. And so it's that knowledge of salvation that God, that God um, has announced in advance, but prepares the way for the way of peace. So here's the last thing I want to look at. As uh, we've talked about the prepared way, which is what John does. But Zechariah in his prophecy speaks about John, letting us know what this child will be. But he speaks about him as preparing the one, the way for the one who we are celebrating next week, Jesus, who is born to actually be the Savior. I want to highlight four things that we could remember this Christmas 
from what Zechariah assumes about God and makes known uh, in his prophecy about the one that his son will prepare the way for. Uh, the The first thing is the good news of Christmas is about God's visitation. And you could see that in the, in the prophets in Isaiah about a people walking in darkness, now seeing a light. Uh, name the child that would come, Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so in verse 78, as, as Zechariah remembers the tender mercy of God, his image is whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. And that for people that feel like maybe God has forgotten us, maybe we're not worthy, maybe God doesn't see or care or hear, maybe we're in such darkness that we feel like we're in the shadow of death. The, the announcement of the visitation of God, God comes to us even in our misery and suffering. It's counterintuitive because most of us would naturally think, of course, God is going to come to me when I'm living a pleasing life, when I'm succeeding, when I look useful to God. And it's those moments that we most need to know that God is faithful to his promises, that God is merciful, that it's hard for us to believe because we don't feel God's presence. And what this passage is saying is, but God visits people precisely in those circumstances. And so one of the remarkable things, generations, people starting to feel like, how do we still hold to these promises? And now they're being fulfilled because God himself is visiting. The way is being prepared because the next person is not just another prophet. The next person is God himself coming to visit his people. So so here's a second thing as we look at what that visitation means is if, if you think of our deepest needs, uh, the imagery of darkness describes those moments where we, where we feel most needing help, needing to know that we're cared for, that we're seen, that somebody uh, has compassion and understands our suffering. In verse 79, if what we're experiencing is feeling like we're in the shadow of death, uh, God's visitation is like giving light to those who sit in that place. So the Christmas story, Jesus being born, uh, the imagery from from uh, Luke 2 that the kids had, well, the shepherds are keeping watch at night. It's not an incidental part of the story that Jesus is showing up to people that feel like they're sitting in darkness. And so that's an encouragement to us that God knows what we need. It's, it's like he will give light. Here's a third thing, is, is that, that as Jesus comes, well, what does he do that changes things for us? Well, he comes to be with us in our darkness, uh, but there is this language of the shadow of death. What is it between us and God? It's our sin. The, the, the logic, uh, the natural extent of sin is death. Because of the reality of death, um, because of the awfulness of sin, we're unable to see with clarity the goodness, the glory, the greatness of God because we're separated. Jesus comes in order to reconcile. He comes to, to bridge the gap. Um, But the way he does it is by coming to be with those who sit in darkness and then going to the cross and dying uh, on their behalf. It's remarkable that Jesus was sent into the world in order to suffer death so that those who sit in the shadow of death uh, would not feel like they're abandoned and handed over, but but actually Jesus goes into the the place of death. And, And something for us to reflect on as we feel that we're in the shadowy parts The gospel message is not that you won't experience the brokenness of this world. It's that the awfulness of that kind of judgment of death won't come to you because it came to Jesus, who came and died on our behalf. The rejection, the misery, the suffering, the humiliation. He takes the place of death, standing between God and humanity, 
So now, even if we experience darkness, we're always in the, the shadow of death. Jesus is in the place of death. And what we're told is that there's a limitation of the harm that will come to us. But the more shadowy we get, even though we don't see it and feel it, we're actually getting closer to the one who loved us so much that he, he went into that place for us. And so that requires a level of faith that most of us don't have. But, but read Psalm 139, for example, a marvelous psalm that talks about God's care of how he knits us together and he oversees our life. And, and it's the statement of faith and humility and trust in God's provision. But the end of it is, is, is an announcement of God's enemy. Psalm 139 is written by, it seems, another suffering person. And yet, Psalm 139, if I went to Shul, if I went to the grave, you'd be there. Um, because darkness is not dark to you. And so, so there's that picture of the one, you know, the one who wants to escape God, that's terrifying. You can't get away from God no matter where you go. But the one who desperately doesn't want to escape God, who wants God to come near, we're told that there's no place that you can go that's so dark that God is not there before you. And so the gospel sends a powerful message. God sends Jesus into the world as light, and he comes to sit with people in darkness. And so that's not the answer to all things, but it does say to us when we suffer that even if we're in the shadow of death, um, God in his mercy will spare us from, from that kind of death because Jesus is there. And Jesus, like that tunnel boring machine is the one who makes the way he's the one who went through death so it's not simply that he took the place of death but he came out on the other side to the resurrection that now there's the possibility that light will come through there's a hole in the lie of death that says that's it that's the end that's that's all that your life is about god sends jesus who passes through death and says it's not true your life is not dead end if you follow me i will lead you in the way of peace and you will get through this shadowy valley and you can wind up on the other side, and he will lead us. So that's the last thing we see in verse 79. Jesus has come to guide our feet into the way of peace. Everyone else prepares the way, announces the way. We have the whole scriptures bearing witness to Christ. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the good shepherd. I will lead you. I am the door. Enter through me. I am the one who will lay down my life for you. I am the one who will bring you through. I am the one who gives life. I am the one who speaks the truth. All of these things that Jesus says where he says, trust me and I will guide your feet. And the nature of that path is into the way of peace. You may have to walk through a shadowy valley on the way there, but I will lead you through it. I will be with you. My rod and my staff as the king uh, will prod you along even in those dark places and you will not fall into death even if you feel like you're in death's shadow. I will go to that place and I will lead you through. And that is how he guides us in the way of peace. So two things for us to think about is one, how, you know, how do you get the peace that God offers? Well, well, first of all, before it's the experience of peace, it's the, it's the actuality of that reconciliation that he offers. God is merciful. He's a God who offers the forgiveness of sins. It's something that he gives, not because we earned it or we deserve it, but because it is the nature of God who's merciful and faithful when he promises, I will forgive you if you turn from me. Our confidence is not that we've done enough to, to earn God's favor. Our confidence is God is merciful. He will not fail in what he's promised. He says to trust Jesus and we will be forgiven. By faith, we have peace with God. It's offered to us. And that begins the experience of peace because that lie underneath all the lies that says, don't trust God, 
God is not good. We think it's an advantage to us, but, but if God really is merciful, if God really is faithful to what he promised, then we're actually postured for this world and all of its complexity. But if there is no God, if God is not reliable, if God is not truthful, if God is not good, then we're not ready for anything. Um, that foundation that God's people have had throughout the ages, that at the end of the day, God is merciful. And what he promised in the arrival of Jesus is all who hope in him will, will pass through death. You will experience the peace of God. By faith, we, we hold to that, and that actually does bring peace. It's verse 78. All of these things are because of the tender mercy of our God. In those periods where we don't see it, where we don't experience it, it's so hard. But if it's true... God's mercy is tender. His heart is for his people. Um, that's what we need for life in this world, to not get caught up in the paths of hostility, but to walk in the way of peace. So one thing is we receive the peace offered through Christ by trusting him. But secondly, you walk in the way of peace. And so I just want to encourage you this Christmas as we remember that God has done something. He's opened the way. Jesus has come into the world as light into darkness. He's come to announce. He's come to, to do all of these things, and he invites us to follow him. There are alternate ways. The world will go one way, and yeah, often we, we go along with other people. But it's kind of like when you're on a flight and you're going to a major hub. You know, you're flying into JFK or into Dallas or to London or some major airport. You're going the same way as lots of people, but you don't know who's getting off in London and staying in London, you don't know who's getting on a connecting flight and heading, you know, and heading to India. And so we go through this world with lots of people. We're all walking the same way. But there are certain times where Jesus says, well, here's an area where I want you to go a different way. Um, and that could be hard. We need to trust him. But he says, ultimately, if you follow me, you, you're not going where everyone else is going. And so there are ways of peace. But you need to trust me to walk in them. And what that means is sometimes we don't respond in the world the way we naturally would respond or the way other people respond. We respond in the imitation of Christ, who loves mercy, who shows forgiveness, who speaks consistently, truthfully, and all of the various things that Jesus comes to teach us about. And he says, follow me in these ways, and there is blessing for the peacemakers, because you will be called children of God. When you follow me, God's peace at work in you will be assigned to the world around you that there's a different way. And maybe you will be something that God is using to shine light into the lives of others. And it requires faith. What do you do when you have to make a decision? <laughs> you pray. You seek God's guidance. You, you study the scriptures to gain the mind of Christ. But you always choose what you believe would honor Jesus, um, believing that his ways are the ways of peace. Uh, this Christmas, we... we recognize the, the beginning, the announcement, God's peace has come into the world. Um, we want to be those people who receive it and walk in it. So as we prepare to celebrate next week, realize that we, we are with people who were preparing for years, uh, those who suffered, those who struggled, and believed in the tender mercy of God. And if you can believe that Jesus coming is, is, is a fulfilled sign that God is faithful to his promises, uh, then it will be easier to follow him in whatever's next in your life. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we are greatly in need of this peace, and yet we are a people who um, are prone to walking all sorts of ways that we can recognize are harmful to ourselves and to others. And 
Lord, we long for that peace, and we're grateful that Jesus makes, makes the way possible. Uh, with the blessing of your Spirit, open our eyes to see that we would uh, have the peace that's offered to us in Christ and that we would walk in it. And so in this Christmas season, help us to remember the good news uh, and to find ways to rejoice in it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.